This evening, we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Job. And with this as the focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles to Job chapter 8. And as you make your way to the 8th chapter of Job, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that this book is centered around the suffering of an ancient man named Job. And while it's true that Job was a God-fearing man who shunned evil, well, it's also true that the Lord was allowing his servant to suffer the attacks of the enemy, which resulted in the death of his children, as well as an outbreak of boils that covered his entire body. Now, uh, we don't know exactly when the events of this book took place, and yet uh, the language that was used in the writing of this book provides us with a few clues. You, you see, uh, the book of Job was actually written in Paleo-Hebrew, which predates ancient Hebrew. And not only that, but the book also contains Syriac and Arabic expressions, which point to a period of time between 1900 and 1700 B.C., it's for this reason that many scholars believe that these events probably occurred during the days of Abraham. And in order to understand the reason for why it's important to place this book into its historic context, well, I want to take a moment to consider the literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation. You see, the student who wants to properly interpret the biblical text that they're studying, they ought to spend some time first considering the historical context as well as the grammatical syntax which, with the goal of, of gaining a greater understanding of the author's perspective. You see, the author writing the book has a historical perspective and is using a specific grammar from a time period that we ought to take into consideration. This is especially important as we consider the different dispensations that we find throughout the scriptures. And just to be clear about this, it'll help you to know that the word dispensation in this context it simply refers to the different ages ordained by God uh, by which he ordered the affairs of this world with additional information that wasn't revealed to the dispensation prior. And, and, and so this includes seven di different dispensations that we find throughout the scriptures, each of which uh, begin with a specific covenant. Now, uh, this includes the dispensation of innocence, which began with the covenant that the Lord made with Adam there in the garden, even before Eve was formed. Then, when Adam and Eve broke that covenant, the Lord then made a new covenant with Adam, uh, which then resulted in a new dispensation of information, which has come to be known as the dispensation of conscience. Sadly, it didn't take long for the people to break the Adamic covenant. And as a result, the Lord then punished the people with a worldwide flood. And afterwards, the Lord then made a covenant with Noah, which included additional information, which has come to be known as the dispensation of human government. And just like before, the people broke this covenant as they embraced the religious idolatry of Nimrod. And in response, the Lord then punished the people as he divided the, the, the world by uh, languages. And at that point in time, the Lord then went on to make a covenant with a man named Abram. And it was the uh, Abrahamic covenant that included this new addition of information, which has come to be known as the dispensation of promise. Sadly, once again, the people broke the Abrahamic covenant, which uh, then resulted in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, followed by the, the worldwide famine, which forced the, the descendants of Abraham uh, to go, go and dwell in the land of Egypt. And during their time in Egypt, the Lord then made a covenant with a man named Moses. 
And with the Mosaic Covenant came additional information, which has come to be known as the dispensation of law. And just like before, the Mosaic Covenant was broken, and the dispensation of law ended with the Assyrian, followed by the Babylonian captivities. Thankfully, all of this was leading up to the new covenant, which was created by Christ Jesus. And this brings us to the church age, which has come to be known as the dispensation of grace. And we can rejoice in knowing that this sixth dispensation will soon give way to the seventh dispensation, which we refer uh, to the millennial kingdom of Christ. And with all this in mind, it's just important for us to realize that the book of Job was written during one of these dispensations. And as we consider the conversation that was recorded here in this book, well, we must take into account the historical context. And the reason why was due to the fact that the book of Job was written during a specific dispensation, which uh, began with a particular covenant that the Lord was expecting every person to follow. Uh, For example, uh, you know, if if Job was living during the dispensation of law, uh, then we should interpret the text according to the Mosaic Covenant. And if Job was living during the dispensation of human government, then we should interpret the text according to the Noahic covenant. Well, with that, uh, it'll help you to know that according to the grammar of this book, the, the events that we find here happen during the days of Abraham. And so we should consider the content of this conversation in light of the dispensation of promise, which began with the Abrahamic covenant. Or or in other words, the conversation that's recorded here in this book, it took place before Moses received the law of the Lord. And not only that, uh, but this conversation might have taken place even before the Tower of Babel, uh, according to some scholars. Uh, At the same time, there's no doubt in my mind that the people who were living during the days of Job clearly understood that the Lord is a holy God who is quick to punish sin. It's for this reason that Job's friends had come to the conclusion that Job must be a man who was being punished for his secret sins. That's the conclusion that they had arrived at. And uh, you know, the friends I'm referring to, of course, are Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. And it was shortly after hearing about the suffering of their friend Job, that's when these three men came to comfort their friend. And after spending three days mourning in silent sorrow with Job, you know, Job finally spoke up, and then Eliphaz followed, you know, and, and he began to basically uh, uh, accuse Job, at least implicitly. Rather than consoling his friend, Eliphaz implicitly accused Job of living in sin, which is why he believed that the punishment of God was upon him. And in response, you know, Job challenged Eliphaz by inviting him to present the evidence of his wickedness. He basically said, hey, if I've sinned, show me. Show me the evidence of my sin. Well, now, here in our text tonight, we find Job's friend, Bildad. He's challenging Job for the way that Job challenged Eliphaz for the way that Eliphaz challenged Job. And so this is a very challenging chapter, of course. As we continue to make our way through this challenging book, we're also going to learn here that popular vote isn't the best test for determining what is true. And we really need to understand that. Just because everybody believes something, just because everybody thinks something is true, don't make it so. And we're going to learn more about that as we make our way through this chapter. But with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of this conversation. Let's turn our attention now to Job chapter 8. And if you would look with me there, beginning at verse 1, here we learn about this day when Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you speak these things and the words of your mouth be like strong wind? 
Now, uh, here in the first two verses of this chapter, we're immediately reintroduced to Bildad, who should not be confused with Bilbo's father. All right. Bildad is not Bilbo's father. No. Bilbo is a fictional character found in The Hobbit, and Bildad was a biblical man who was probably related to Abraham's son, Shua. Uh, At the same time, it is possible that Bildad was Job's shortest friend because he was just a shoe height. I guess this is why he had such a short temper because he was pretty upset with Job here. Seriously, though, take a look. Uh, let's, let's consider the way that Bildad here challenged Job. Look, I've got people walking out on me now. Just <laughs> Daniel's done. He's, he's out the door. All right. I'll do better. So, so notice the, you know, the, the accusation. Notice the tone here in verse 2 where Bildad declares, How long will you speak these things and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? In other words, Bildad here is accusing Job of being a windbag. You know, he's saying, hey, you're just blasting out blustering wind. And, and while it's true that Bildad was unapologetically insisting that Job was just full of hot air, well, it's also true that his accusation was completely unfounded. And the reason I say this is because, remember, uh, Job was a man who feared God. Job was a man who shunned evil. And so we know that uh, Job was not a man who was living in sin. And, and, and after Job defended himself to, to Eliphaz, you know, Bildad immediately jumps in and says, how long will you blow this hot air at us? You know, basically insisting that Job is just, you know, making it all up, you know, just defending himself without having any real uh, weight behind his words. Sadly, this didn't stop Bildad uh, from going on and making more accusations. And to prove my point, uh, let's pick up our study of Job chapter 8, beginning at verse 3. Here, Bildad asks this. He says, does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away from their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would uh, awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Now here in these verses, we find Bildad, he's presenting this loaded question, which he then goes on to answer himself. And the loaded question, it's found there in verse 3, he asks there, does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert justice? In other words, he's asking, does, God, does our Almighty God here, does he pervert justice with unjust judgments? Well, of course he doesn't. Job wasn't suggesting that God was perverting justice. The obvious answer here is no, of course not. It's a loaded question. They all knew that God was not unjust. And while Bildad was correct to suggest that the judgments of God are always just, this still doesn't prove that Job's family was on the receiving end of the Lord's righteous judgments. Sadly, this didn't stop Bildad from suggesting that the untimely death of Job's children was God's way of exposing their sins. That's what he was saying here. Not directly, but indirectly, but yet a little more forcefully than Eliphaz. He was basically saying, look, your, your kids died because they were sinners. What a horrible thing to say. And not only that, but he went on to suggest that the Lord would restore Job if he would simply start seeking the Lord again with sorrowful supplications as if Job was some sort of sinful man. 
And so in his mind, I guess it plays out like this, that Job and his family had been punished. The only way to account for this is the judgment of God. Therefore, Job must be a sinner. And yet there are other explanations for why a person might go through these sorts of hardships. Now, I would point out that, you know, Bildad's advice is excellent for any backslidden believer who's living in sin. It is good counsel for a backslidden believer. It's similar to the counsel that the Lord Jesus presents in Revelation chapter 2, where he encouraged the backslidden believers in Ephesus to repent. And he did this by declaring this, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Without debate, the backslidden believer should earnestly seek God as we make our supplication to the Almighty. And if you've wandered away from the Lord, heed the counsel of Bildad. And consider the rebuke of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's better to repent and return to the Lord than to have our lampstand removed, or in other words, our witness to the world. It's better to have a witness to be the light of the world by by the power of the Holy Spirit than to be a Christian who's continuing to live in sin. Listen, if Job were, in fact, a backslider uh, who was living in secret sin, then the counsel of Bildad would have been excellent. But what Bildad failed to realize was that Job wasn't a backslidden believer. He he was a a, a faithful follower of the Lord. And since Bildad's assumption about Job was wrong, then his counsel to Job was also incorrect. It might be correct counsel for a backslider, but it was incorrect counsel for Job. Now, as we consider the way that Bildad's assumptions about Job were the same as Eliphaz, I can't help but to wonder then, was, was Bildad the sort of man who was easily swayed by the opinions of others? Like, did he come you know, to Job's house with, with just like this open, open mind about what the situation is and what it could be, and then he hears Eliphaz, and Eliphaz is like, yeah, he's a sinner. You know, yeah, he's being punished by God. And so Bildad says, oh, okay, that's, that makes sense. The reason I ask about, you know, Bildad's perception here, uh, you know, he, he didn't really spend one second considering Job's defense. You know, Job offers his defense, basically, you know, calls Eliphaz out and says, hey, if you have evidence of my sin, prove it. And without missing a beat here, Bildad jumps in and says, oh, you're full of hot air. I mean, not one second was spent just even considering Job's point of view or perspective. Had he already made up his mind by the time he got to Job's house? Is it possible that Bildad was simply defending his friend despite the facts? You know, Job basically said, hey, Elphaz, you're wrong unless you have some evidence, then you've got nothing to stand on here. And is it possible that Bildad just wanted to defend Eliphaz against the accusations then of Job? Or was he a man who was unwilling to consider Job's point of view because he had already made up his mind, you know, you know, just based on his own opinions or based on his own experience? Or Job is just that kind of guy that he's come to the conclusion because he knew someone just like him back in high school and he picked on him, and so therefore he must be guilty, right? Don't, don't we tend to do that kind of stuff? 
well, this person is like that person. I know this about that person, so I must be guilty of the, they must be guilty of the same thing. We've got to be careful with all of this stuff. It's possible that Bildad was simply suffering from confirmation bias after you know, hearing the accusations made by Eliphaz. You know, he might have been thinking, well, that's kind of what I was thinking too. And so you know, his opinion lines up with my opinion. So now, you know, because there's two of us who believe this, it must be true. You know, this happens when people have a point of view, and rather than considering the perspective of, of, of someone who disagrees with them, they would rather surround themselves in an echo chamber of people who are all saying the same thing, and then they feel justified in, in their point of view. That's another possibility here. And, you know, we really can't say for certain what the basis was for Bildad's accusations against, against Job. But what we do know is this, that he wasn't willing to spend even one second considering any other possible explanation for why Job and his family were suffering in this sort of way. And regardless of the decision driver, you know, Bildad's accusations were wrong, and therefore his counsel was completely incorrect. And with that being the case, we'd all do well to learn the lesson about self-examination here. The reason why is because it's not uncommon for us to develop opinions and for all the wrong reasons. Maybe you're a person who's easily influenced by the opinions of your close friends. And, and, and even if they're wrong about something, you'll agree with them without even looking into it. Why? Because, well, you trust them. Well, don't, don't trust me because I said something. I know you don't, but you know, that, don't take my word for it. And that was you know, Paul's point of view as well. Don't, don't take my word for it. Go, go make sure it's true. Go find out in the scriptures. Go study to show yourself approved. So if you're a person who is easily swayed by the opinions of close friends and, and you believe what they say just because you, you, know, you, know, you trust them or, or you think highly of them, you, know, you could end up with, with an incorrect opinion just simply because you believed a person who really didn't look into it for themselves. Maybe you're swayed by the popular vote of those who are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Listen, uh, you know, anytime something in the world is popular, I'm immediately just red flag. Something's wrong with this, you know, and, and maybe I'm wrong and I'll, I'll go investigate it and check it out for myself. But if something is popular and widely accepted, I'm all, to me, it's, I'm already, there's a problem here. There's an issue, you know, because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And, and so, you know, if something is, you know, if there's a popular vote happening, you know, I, you know, I'm, 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 I tend to, uh, I guess, become a little bit more inquisitive about, about what everybody's voting on there. It's also possible that you've embraced an opinion or a point of, of view that you yourselves are unwilling to examine. You have a, a belief, you have an idea or an opinion, and somebody says, hey, have you, have you considered this, uh, this contrary evidence here? And no, no, I'm not, I don't have to look at that. I know. Hold on, why not? Why wouldn't you want to examine contrary evidence? Why wouldn't you want to look at another point of view? Rather than considering what the Bible says about a subject, you know, there are many Christians who seek out an echo chamber of people who are ready to confirm your biased opinion because you don't want the other thing to be true. Again, not, not a good way to develop opinions or form you know, uh, your belief system or worldview. If any of this sounds like something that you struggle with, please trust me when I tell you, it's better to walk in the light of the truth and yes, even when this means that we must admit that we believe something that was wrong. That's the whole basis of coming to, coming to Christ anyway. The whole concept of repentance is to change your mind. 
So you can't even come to Christ without saying, yeah, I was completely wrong about Jesus, and, and now I need to trust in him solely for salvation. Well, why wouldn't we continue on with that, uh, that, that idea of, you know, chances are I'm wrong about a lot of things. Chances are I'm wrong about most things. And, and so I need to come to the scriptures with an open mind and be ready for the word of God to change the way I view the world. That's how we ought to walk. We have to come to the scriptures saying, hey, where my opinions don't line up with the Bible, let God be true and every man a liar, and and I'll line myself up to the truth of God's word. Sadly, there's many in the church today who are following in the footsteps of Bildad simply because they're unwilling to consider the facts of a faithful witness like Job. Job was testifying to the truth of the matter, and Bildad wasn't even willing to hear it. Let's not be like Bildad in that case. Well, with all this in mind, we should continue to consider how this affected the counsel that he was presenting to Job. And so, if you would, let's pick up our study of Job chapter 8. We'll begin reading there at verse 8. Here, Bildad goes on to declare, For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday, and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? And here in these verses, we find Bildad, he's encouraging Job to consider the counsel of the wise men who had come before them. And he may have been referring to Adam, or he may have been referring to Abraham. It's possible that he was referring to Noah, or maybe Noah's sons. We can't say for sure, but what we can say for certain is this, that Bildad was a man who was really kind of, you know, uh, offering up some false humility here. You know, he's like, hey, what do we know? You know, we're, we're all just so young, you know, we're, we don't really know much. And, you know, the ancients will do a much better job helping us to think all this stuff through. And, oh, by the way, the ancients are on my side, by the way. So, so I'm right because, you know, I listened to the ancients and you didn't. So I'm, it's, it, there's a humble brag happening here, if you will. And, and not only that, but listen, I believe that Bildad needed to heed his own advice. He needed to actually go back and revisit the ancient wisdom that he was referring to. Think about it. Bildad here is challenging Job to consider the counsel of the ancients because you know, they were much too immature to realize that you know, he was actually receiving the punishment that he had deserved. And in this way, Bildad seemed to be suggesting that he and Eliphaz were, were the ones that were smart enough to walk in the wisdom of the ancients. But Job here was just presenting them with nothing more than a windstorm. Bildad was simultaneously failing to realize that he himself had rushed to judgment about Job without any evidence at all, and therefore his conclusion about Job and his counsel to Job were both incorrect. Now, I'll be the first one to say, yeah, let's go, let's go read the, the writings of the ancients. Let's get back into the Old Testament. Let's get back into the New Testament. Let's, let's read the Word of God so that we can form correct opinions. But we need to be careful with thinking that, well, because it's my opinion, the Bible backs me up. You know, this can get into some special pleading where we think that, well, because I have an opinion that's based in the scriptures, based on this one verse, that your opinion that's based on that verse right there can't coincide, and so I must be right and you must be wrong. Why don't you read the Bible, please? Got to be careful with that attitude. And listen, before we try to instruct others with corrective counsel that we think they need to hear, we might make sure that we actually know what we're talking about. Listen, if your counsel is based upon the assumptions that you arrived at from afar, 
Well, then you might spend a little time considering the perspective of the person that you're preparing to correct. You know, if you haven't actually gone and talked to them and asked them, why do you see things this way? Or why are you reacting in that way? Or, or what's the basis for, for your whole belief system here? If you're not willing to go and, and, and inquire of uh, their perspective, then how much do you actually know about what they need by way of counsel? Listen, your assumptions about them might be wrong. The assumptions that we form from afar, they, they could be wrong. They might not have all the data necessary for then offering up biblical counsel from the ancients, you know. I like the way that the Lord Jesus put it in John chapter 7. It's verse 24 where he says this, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, people would like just the first three words there, right? Do not judge. That's all they, they just want to end it right there. But Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, rather than jumping to the wrong conclusions because of something we saw from afar or heard, you know, from a third party, you know, who had a story to tell. And listen, take the time to listen to all sides of the story so that then you can judge with righteous judgment. Then we we can seek the guidance of God so that we're making sure that our hearts are in the right place and actually in line with the infinite wisdom of the Holy Spirit. In this way, we can avoid making the same mistake that Bildad was guilty of making here in our text tonight. With this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Job chapter 8. Let's begin reading there at verse 11. Here, Bildad goes on to ask, can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water while it is yet green and not cut down? It withers before any other plant because of global warming. Oh, no, wait. Sorry, that's not there. Verse 13, so are the paths of all who forget God. And the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off and whose trust is a spider's web. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in his garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Now here in these verses we find Bildad, he's presenting Job, with more excellent counsel, this is really good counsel. And to, to sum it up with simplicity, you know, the person who fails to keep God first in their lives will ultimately watch all of their endeavors amount to nothing. The person who fails to keep God first in their lives will ultimately watch all of their endeavors amount to nothing. And listen, uh, what he said was undoubtedly true. This is precisely the point that the Lord Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 7. It's there where he declares... Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. If you don't keep Jesus on the throne in your heart and if you're not keeping God at the center of your life, then all of your work will end, end up being for nothing. I mean, you could even become rich and famous on, on this path, but at the end of the day, it's all wood, hay, and stubble that's going to be burned up before the throne uh, of our Savior. 
Those who fail to keep Christ at the center of their lives will eventually discover that they built their lives upon the wrong foundation. This is true of those who build their, their life upon you know, their job or they build their lives upon their family or they build their lives upon their hobby or they build their lives upon fill in the blank. If your life is built upon the wrong foundation, then everything eventually crumbles in on itself. And it's for this reason that I encourage every Christian to make sure that you're keeping Christ first in your lives. Jesus must be number one. He must be first. He must be first before you know, your spouse, before your kids, before your boss, before your family, before your friends, before everything. And if we keep Jesus first and follow his teachings, then you know, we're building our house upon the solid foundation which will always stand. At the same time, it's important to understand that there are times when obedient believers do find themselves in the middle of a fiery trial that the Lord is allowing for their benefit. And so if you see someone's life completely falling apart, it might not be because there's sin in their life. It might be because the Lord is you know, strengthening them with, with the trial. Therefore, we would be wrong to assume that a brother or a sister in Christ who's suffering in some sort of way must be on the receiving end of the Lord's loving correction. If you hear about someone getting cancer, you hear about somebody who lost their job, you hear about somebody who's you know, going through some fiery trial, you know, it would be wrong to think, oh, they must be sinning. They, they might just be on the receiving end of a, of a fiery trial that the Lord is allowing for their benefit, for their growth. That being the case, before we rush to judgment, we would do well to listen to their testimony, to hear how they're doing, to listen to their heart and, and, and let them tell us what's going on in their life before we start accusing them of being some sort of backslidden believer. And as we listen to their story, maybe they are a backslidden believer that needs to be rebuked and we need to be ready if the Lord leads to rebuke them. But they might just need to be encouraged because they're doing the right thing. They're serving the Lord. They're living their life for God. They're building their house upon the solid foundation of the Lord. And, and yet the Lord is allowing them to suffer in some sort of way. Maybe they just need a brother or a sister in Christ to come alongside of them and, and, and encourage them. With all this in mind, let's consider the way that Bildad tried to encourage Job here in the final verses of this chapter. And so if you would look with me there beginning at verse 19, here Bildad declares, Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Now here in the final verses of this chapter, we, we find Bildad, he's, you know, he, he's kind of trying to put a positive spin on this whole thing of, hey Job, just, just repent and get right with the Lord so that you can be blameless again and be accepted by God and, and have some, you know, some good times again. And, you know, Bildad here, though, in, in this final statement is, you know, making a distinction between the blameless who are upheld by God and the evildoers who are going to be cast down by God. And in light of this, it seems to me that Bildad, he's here suggesting that a person is either blameless or they're an evildoer. He, he seems to see every person in, in one of these two categories, a blameless person or an evildoer. 
Now, if Bildad was correct here, and if it's true that we all find ourselves in uh, the category of either the blameless person or the evildoer, I can't help but to wonder, which camp would he have been placed in at that point in time? Which camp would Bildad have been placed in at that point in time? And, And with that, I have to ask, well, what camp does a person belong in if they're guilty of making false accusations against others? According to Moses, who, you know, wrote Exodus chapter 23, those who circulate a false report are actually sinning against the Lord. Here's how Moses writes it in Exodus 23, verses 1 and 2. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Simply put, it's a sin to present false reports about others. And as Bildad was making false accusations against Job, he was sinning. He was sinning for falsely accusing Job in front of his other uh, two friends. Furthermore, it's in Exodus chapter 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments, and it's in the Ninth Commandment which reads this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's one of the ten. And from this we can see that those who falsely accuse others of things they didn't do are sinning. And with that being the case, we can be certain that Bildad was sinning against Job by falsely accusing him of living in sin. Now to be fair to Bildad, I'll remind you, he was living before the Mosaic law was given. Not only that, but he was also uh, living here before the new covenant was written in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we recognize here that Bildad didn't have access to all the scriptures that we have today. Now, I do believe that the law was written on his heart as it is ours today. And I do believe that, you know, he was born after the dispensation of conscience, which means, you know, that, uh, you know, he had his conscience. He had the law written on on his heart. He knew that it was wrong to lie. and, And so it's my guess that he didn't really recognize that he was lying. But listen, if Bildad had access to the books that we have today, he would have probably been a much wiser man. He probably would have had much more information like we have today. For example, if Bildad had access to the book of Romans, then he would realize that people don't just belong in one of two camps. It's not just the blameless and the evildoer. You know, no, there's much more complexity to it. You see, there are none who are completely blameless. There are none who are good, not even one. And the reason why, well, Paul tells us, we've all sinned, we've all sh- uh, you know, fallen short of God's perfect standard. And, and so with that, you know, I think you know, Bildad would have uh, had a better understanding you know, of, of humanity had he had access to the book of Romans. And seeing how we're all guilty before God, well, we can rejoice in knowing that the Lord Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The Lord Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not just uphold the blameless. If Bildad had access to the book of 2 Corinthians, then he would know that God the Father sent his only begotten Son to be sin for us so that sinners might become the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus. And if Bildad had access to the book of Galatians, well, then he would have known that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit 
by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. With all this in mind, it's important for us to understand that the Lord Jesus didn't come to just uphold the blameless. And he didn't come to just condemn the evildoers. He came to seek and save those who are lost. And now that he's died on the cross for our sins, now that he's become our substitutionary sacrifice, well, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in knowing that the evildoer can become blameless in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? The evildoer can now become blameless in Christ Jesus after receiving the gracious gift of forgiveness by faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's by faith in Jesus Christ that the stain of our sin is washed away forevermore. Now I can certainly appreciate those who, like Bildad, want to go and help others to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I do believe that was Bildad's heart. I believe that he wanted to help his buddy Job to repent of his sins and to come back to, to faith in God and these sorts of things. And, and listen, I can appreciate the heart of anybody who cares enough about their friends to go and challenge them when they think that they're on the wrong path. But listen, before we gear up and get ready to go rebuke another person, we might spend a little time taking the plank out of our own eye first just to make sure we're seeing clearly, just to make sure that we're able to really recognize what the situation is. And so before we, we rush to, a, uh, to judgment, before we rush to accusations from assumptions, we would do well to sit down with the person and just see how they're doing and just see where they're at. Pray with them and care for them. And, and then if, if the Lord leads to rebuke, then by all means. But maybe the Lord would just have you to encourage them and help them to walk side by side with them during this season of their life. And so let's just be careful that we don't follow in the footsteps of Bildad but instead that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ who came to pour out his grace upon those who trust in him. Let's pray.